and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Today we are talking about Lovecraft Country, Episode 9, Rewind. And we have LaRock Payton! Hey y'all, I'm back! (laughs) So, remind everyone in case they have forgotten who you are through all the craziness of Lovecraft. Hi, um, I'm LaRob, LaBob, um, and, uh, you know, Sheree's a good friend of mine. Trent is also a newly good friend of mine. I'm happy to be here, happy to talk about um, Lovecraft, love this show, um, and yeah, thank you for having me here. Find me on social media via my name, and yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Let's get into our general thoughts on Lovecraft Country so far. Take it away, somebody else. Okay, so uh, let me start, because I have something a little, like, kind of off topic. So I've recently started listening to the official Lovecraft uh, podcast. And it's hosted by one of the writers and then uh, another woman that is just, um, she's not involved in the show, but she's a big horror fan. She does a bunch of podcasts. Um, And it's really good. I highly recommend it to everyone because it really gives a good, a really interesting in-depth on the writing process of the show and like why they chose certain choices. But one thing that I want to highlight because um, I've noticed it and we all have noticed it, um, when they were talking about the episode when uh, Yuhima dies or when Montrose kills Yuhima, um, the woman that is on the writing staff talked about her experience when the, when the episode aired and how she was kind of nervous about the reception of that moment from um, particularly not like gender non-conforming people or the LGBTQIA um, community at large um, as well. But the way that she handled it and the way that she talked about it was um, I think really refreshing to me because she mentioned that of course that was not their intention in in that part of the storytelling to cause violence against non uh, gender non-conforming people or um, intersexed people or the way that two-spirited people back then would have been today is all different. But anyway, the LGBTQIA community, um, but she understood if it was read that way And she was ready for that criticism. And if she had received it, she would take it and like try to do better next time. Um, And as a white person, um, you get this a lot. And I think artists and creators are far too defensive, far too quick to shut down that criticism before really listening to it and really trying to to be better the next time or even edit what you've already created to um, take in that criticism. Um, so I don't want to go f- too far down that rabbit hole, but I was, it was really refreshing to hear her talk about that and hear her, um, her reservation and fear, uh, not fear is not the right word. I don't know how to word that correctly, but, um, but the way that she was willing to hear it, if it, if it, if in fact someone brought that up. So I just wanted to mention that. But go listen to the podcast. They're both amazing women, and I like it. 
should know their names. I even follow at least one of them on Twitter, but today was nine days, so I don't. Um, what I'm going to say, though, is that I feel part of the issue here is that perhaps they don't have enough people in the room to help them navigate these situations and to not cause this triggering and this harm. And that is a problem we see usually in all white rooms. And so I, I feel like it was an oversight on this group's part because like I don't have any gender non-conforming friends who are not upset. Um, and I feel bad because I guess I should have warned them, the ones who weren't following along. But again, that's like a privilege I have to where I'm like, this is traumatic for so many people, including myself, but I'm still watching. And I didn't go, hey, specifically you might be harmed by this. Yeah. And I think that if this writer takes this moment and remembers it moving forward and looks around these rooms and goes, where are other people in this room that might help me tell this story I want to tell better, then that's awesome. But if she's just like open to criticisms and going to do it again, we got to talk. So <laughs> again, show your work. That's all I keep saying. Show your work. Good point. Um, but yeah, so back to this specific episode of Lovecraft Country. Um, it was a lot emotional, terrifying, Hippolyta's back, so I was happy, but then I was sad, because is she human? I, like, <laughs> I'm real confused about the state of Hippolyta. <laughs> yeah, this this episode for me was, it, it was a roller coaster. I mean, and it's funny saying that when we're talking about this show, because every episode is a roller coaster, but specifically this episode, because I think what they do in this episode is different than other episodes where you kind of get the brunt of everything that's going on kind of at the end a little bit where they they you know it's kind of light and they they soften you up a little bit with um a little witchcraft a little sci-fi a little horror um at the beginning of the episode so you're drawn in and then by the end of the episode, you're like, I'm crying and I didn't expect to be crying by the end of this episode. Um, so yeah, this one was, this was a rough one. Um, I think needfully so. Needfully? Is that a word? Make it one. Make it so. Um, I think rightfully so. Um, it was a, a an emotional episode though. All right. Well, shall we get down to it, to the moments in the show specifically? let's start it right. first off mvp ruby because they all in here yelling over d's body because d is like out because montrose got her slashed up because he's useless mm -hmm. and they're all yelling who did what and who let her go where and ruby's like if all you hoes don't shut up you all are to blame your yelling ain't helping yeah. <laughs> the one thing i would say to ruby about that moment with ruby is that she's also to blame because she straight up left her to go be with christina so like, let's not push all the blame onto other people. Not that she's the soul to blame, but she also was not there. The thing <laughs> is, these other three fools got her parents both killed, we think at this time, and are <laughs> staying with her. So they're the guardians, whereas Ruby was just the funeral holding her hand and she ran off. And that's when Ruby's job is done. Touche, touche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, this whole, this whole scene and I'm, you know, when I listened to the last episode, and so I know this has already been covered, but just poor D. I, I mean, you know, it's really the story of little black girls. And I think that is what is really kind of heartbreaking about all of this is that now 
at the at the final moment, you know, everybody wants to come to Dee's rescue. Everybody wants to finally put their heads on right and be like, we got to get this right for Dee. And I'm like, y'all could have prevented all of this had you. So I actually, you know, I agree, Sheree. I appreciated Ruby for calling it out and being like, this is all y'all fault. We This could have been prevented. Um, but yeah, just, God, boy, this <laughs> poor girl. I feel like this episode, Ruby said everything I've wanted to say to all of them mm-hmm. and gave no more fucks. I don't know if that's her new, like, privilege and it's, like, starting to bleed over to her regular life. And she's like, no, <laughs> a tin is talking. What? <laughs> but finally, storytelling-wise, we finally get a scene where they're saying, okay, y'all, this is what I've done. This is what right. he's done. This is what she's done. This is what he's done. <laughs> We all don't get bad about it, but like we've done it. <laughs> yes, I literally just like rolled my eyes in this throughout this whole interaction because I was like, finally, y'all want to tell everybody what you've been through, what you done did. Mm-hmm. Finally, um, but yeah, it was a lot. And then Montrose was being super dramatic, like when you know, he stepped to Letty. I. I <laughs> Ruby would have killed him. Ruby would have killed him. She would have broke everybody would have killed him. I almost jumped through the screen because I was like, sir, for somebody who has the most shit to sort out within themselves, you do not have a right right now to be up in arms. You need to pipe it down and and let's all try to work together communitively to like figure this out. But it, but it was kind of funny that literally Letty goes from no more magic, we're done with magic. Oh, by the way, I'm invulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all have fun. Yes. I'm gonna be over here right? like ricocheting bullets everywhere. So, right. She's like, I'm fine. So now we can stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can switch ourselves out. Oh my um, goodness. But good for her. She deserves something out of this mess. It's, seriously. I mean, again, we finally realized that everybody then sold their souls to Christina. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay, now we can move forward with the process. You know, I'm like, all right. <laughs> right. And now and now we, and then Ruby comes clean and she's like, no, Christina can do it. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of my boo, I guess. I don't know. Listen, her I. Her partner, Christina right. William, William Christina. <laughs> I li- I lived for this moment. I, you know, listen, I love a bi-romantic, literally gender-fluid power couple, okay? Because Ruby said, Christina, no, Christina will help D for me. And I was like, ooh, what she said. <laughs> no, my bus ticked down for you lately. <laughs> <laughs> Not much, that's the show. Right. No, I, yeah, I love that moment. Um, and then also fast forward to this moment where Christina's there mm-hmm. um, and everybody's like, oh God, what can we do? Like, and then Tick in his very Tick way is like, well, can't you just use my blood? And Christina's like, no, your blood is not a magic cure-all. And it was just like, tell him. Cause if, of everybody, Tick is the main one who's like, I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix that. And I'm like, no, this is not holes. <laughs> you can't fix everything, Tick. You're messing everything up. And I was so happy that Christina called him out and was like, no, you can't. 
Mm-hmm. It also just goes back to him thinking he's the center of the universe. Right. Like he believes it all starts and stops with him. And it's like, there are other things that play good, sir. Things mm-hmm. have happened. Things right. have happened. We got monsters we ain't got names for. We got people changing into other people. We got <laughs> people floating around on new planets for 200 years, but it's I'm only s- been a week. <laughs> I, it ain't about you, Tick. It ain't about you. <laughs> it's beyond you now. Look. <laughs> Can, can we also talk for a minute about how Tick has still not told Letty that he went to the damn future and knows that she's pregnant. And also, Letty ain't told Tick that she's pregnant. I think she got some reservations. <laughs> Listen, because I would too. I would be withholding until I saw some signs of human. Yes. And, and I'm like, I'm not quite sure who or what you are, Tick. So I'm going to just keep this information to myself for a minute. But yeah, eventually that all comes together. But I'm just like, why is nobody talking? What is happening? Right. So they find they find out, Christina tells them that the only real cure for D is in the Book of Names, which was somehow trapped in the body of the cop that is now they think is dead because the monster, and he got blown up and the monster was killing them all. Um but she offers a like extra time essentially to find this uh, book. And she says, because this is key to later on, she says, we need the blood of the closest relative to D. And they, they of course, uh, go to Hippolyta first, but Hippolyta is who knows where right now. We find right. out later. Um, but they get, then they, of course, Tick goes to Montrose. But Montrose knows that he may not be mm-hmm. the closest blood relative of D. Right. Mm-hmm. So then we, then Chris, uh, Christina's like, I got stuff to do. We're going to do this later. Right. I know, I know, you're, I know D's arm is like rotten off. You know, it looks like a tree bark. Uh, <laughs> it looks. <laughs> Yeah, I just kept saying poor D this whole episode, this whole whole episode. I was just like, poor D. Right. Um, So yeah, and then then we go to Christina is at this like police, you know, police place and well, it's, it's William now. She goes as William. Oh, right. Yeah. So she shows up as William and I was like, you better come on. I, I, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say this now. I'm just going to say it. In this episode and this episode alone, <laughs> I stand Christina William. <laughs> Listen, just in this episode, because she, he, they were coming through. And I was like, you know what? Y'all saying the right things. You're showing up the right way. You're doing the work. I love it. Oh, an important moment to, to to go back to just a little bit because it helps a future scene. She does in order to help them. She tells Tick that he has to voluntarily come mm-hmm. to um, Artem on the equin the whatever equinox that she's mm-hmm. trying to. We know we all know that she's trying to kill him. Good right. for her. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. That made me like her more. When I found out her in game was his in game, I was like, "Come through, Christina William. Come through." See now what? you see now you see why I like her in this episode because I was right? like, "And she's trying to get rid of Tick." Oh yeah, she's I like also, this. She's also petty as fuck because this is the cop <laughs> that killed William, 
Oh, she real petty. She real petty. She was like, I wanted, you know, she, okay, first of all, before we acknowledge, you know, what Christina has said, said to this man, but I didn't realize that what this cop was doing was mutilating black bodies and using them to survive. I didn't realize that until this episode. And so, um, gross, um, also, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, that is wild. Right. Um, and it makes yeah. sense now why he's kept bodies in his closet. Right. I mean, I, I will say, I mean, maybe it's it's bodies in general, because my, my question was what that there was a white man in that closet when Ruby got stuck in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm confused, you know, maybe it's just bodies in general and he's using it. But I liked I liked that we saw um Christina's stone or whatever that stone was that she put it in the drawer. It was a means to like make sure that his magic didn't work the next time that he was hurt because he uses those bodies when he's injured. So when Tick's monster got him and mutilated him completely, he went running or they must have went running to try and fix his body. And that stone that Christina put in the drawer was like, ah, 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 ain't gonna work this time. So then William shows up <laughs> and gets crouches down in his face and is like, oh yeah, and by the way, I had this stone in your, in your drawer. I wanted to see you die a thousand times, but I guess I'll settle for this one. And I was like, let's see the lights go out of his eyes and in scene. Yes. I- I appreciated that because my love language is petty. And so this elevated William. I was like, is he a scars guard? Because he's smoking right now. I need to like Google this actor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I thought that was a really cool scene. I like that. I loved it. Because well, she says that every time, okay, it kind of leads into something later, but every she says that every time she transforms into William, he dies a little, he dies again. Mm-hmm. essentially so that's really important to remember for a future scene because we find out something key about white ruby right um mm. but before that though we go to tick and montrose where montrose is drinking um some like he drinking some like moonshine something uh right from jo- one lush to another you need to slow down <laughs> yeah the my my feelings for montrose in this episode evolved in this scene, I definitely was still very much like, oh God, here we go again. Yeah. Um, it was frustrating to see him just sit and like stew, knowing that, you know, D is on the line here. He's got to say something. I'm like, are you going to say something? You know that, you know, Hippolyta is gone. We don't know where she is. And you know, you might not be able to save her. You need to speak up, bruh. Yeah. Um, so watching him stew was frustrating. So Tick walks in and he's like, you know, really pops. And, um, you know, we're like, okay, Tick, here he goes. And evidently Tick can't hold his liquor, which seems very on brand. Because Tick takes one sip of this moonshine or whatever that Montrose is drinking. And he's like, what is this, gasoline? And I'm like, yes, yeah, of course you can't hold your liquor. He also can't hold a job or his girlfriend. So, I mean, patterns. Again, it seems very <laughs> on the <brand. laughs> right. So, um, um, but, but yes, 
Montrose finally tells him that he may be they, they he's I don't think Montrose or George really know and then we're not at a time scientifically that they can know and you're probably right Sheree I don't know how much sex Dora and Montrose were having but about as much as me and William that's how much does not <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, I will say I, I kind of love this um, kind of hypothetical dynamic of Montrose, George, and Dora, and Eudora. I, 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 agree. I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting story that I, you know, in the future, I would love to see kind of like fleshed out a little bit. This idea that, you know, Montrose and George, they're this brother and, and they have their family drama, you know, in the house. But then they've also got a friend, Dora, who maybe loves the both of them. But, you know, Montrose is very much not interested in Dora for several reasons, um, mainly because he's being abused. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then Dora and George end up together it's interesting I, I i think that's an interesting aspect of of tick's bloodline i guess yeah. and the fact that like you said trent that it's not actually clear who is the dad we just know that it's probably not montrose um i i think i think that's an interesting way that, for them to tell this story mm-hmm. as opposed to it just being like well, you're not actually the father, you know, that's, that's different than, than what they're doing here is like, well, you know, it was just tricky back then. We did, we weren't sure. And obviously there was my drama and there was their drama. So yeah, I thought that was cool. And I mean, we get more into this later, but like, it was really, because Montrose says when Tick's like, did mama cheat on you with Uncle George? Um, (laughs) Because that's his first idea is that she must have cheated. Um, that was the best tick imitation I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it on the road. Um, mm-hmm. So, but anyway, but Montrose's response is that they three, the three of them grew up together very close. And right. we know that we already know that the three of them lived through the Tulsa massacre together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I can get where that bonded you as a family unit, even if it's not like, a typical nuclear family or whatever but it's also a really interesting way of george and dora to protect montrose right and his queerness in a world where that would have gotten him killed whether he be black or not you know like right and yeah and i think that's what i mean by it being interesting is that instead of portraying it as a a scandalous love triangle it's more of a like no, we're, we were a family mm-hmm. and it's much more complex than just, you know, a love triangle, you know, I like that. Yeah. Well, so been, yeah. my favorite part of this scene though is when Letty walks in and she's like, oh. <laughs> Can we address that Letty is always walking in on Tick and Montrose's family <laughs> issues? Cause they always got family issues 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> Every time Tick and Montrose are getting in it, Letty's in the background like, oh, oh, this is uh, awkward. This is awkward. <laughs> I'm like, right. she's, like, I, she's like, I just want to make some cereal. Can y'all not do this in the kitchen this morning? Look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, goodness. But she goes, oh, and Hippolyta comes in at this point because they talk about uh, D. Oh, no, because she's, uh, Letty tells them that D's fever's broke. 
mm-hmm. and Christina is there. They're ready to do the spell. And then our girl Hippolyta walks in, and I was like, yes, finally. Listen, I was so happy. If this was a scene in a movie, in a movie theater, people would be throwing their popcorn up, <laughs> clapping, because when she walked in and was like, something's wrong with D, we all looked and we were like, ah, yes. <laughs> I was like, finally, the hero of the story. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. So uh, Hippolyta comes and they do cast a spell on D. That mm. CGI of her arm with the maggots coming out of it Ooh. and then like that's healing it. Ooh, it was so it was It was a lot. I will say, I mean, and, and this is probably me just reading real far into this and it's not, it holds no weight, but I don't know if you guys noticed that with all the like white people magic, there's just like, there's like spit and rot and death and maggots and grossness. And I mean, we, I don't really know how that contrasts to whatever black magic we might, black people magic we might see. Um, but like, it's just, it's just always gross. Yeah. I mean, when we did see the, the, that one woman in episode three come to perform the like house, you know, exorcism or whatever, there was the, the sacrificial goat, you know, and the blood, you know, whatever, but nothing like spit and just vile nastiness it's always and even with christina's magic it's like death and like blood i don't know that's something to be fleshed out at some now, point now that you point that out it makes me happy because usually people are like dark magic black magic and they assign it to like voodoo priestesses and stuff right and so i love that like we've inversed it here yeah, that's the first that's like the first thing that I noticed with this is that the way that they tell the story of like black people and their their ability to have magic, it's very ancestral, very bloodline, like it flows through you. But with, you know, everybody else who uses magic in the show, it's very violent and like not natural at all. Yeah. So. Is it because it's forced? Like white people aren't magical in this world. And so because they have to force it, they have to force it through these like dark ways. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's not natural. It's not effortless. They, they're mm-hmm. not flawless and woke up like this. Right. They gotta, <laughs> they gotta work. <laughs> one, right. thing, one thing that we missed that I think we do need to talk about because it does add some um, of my questions just about specifically about Ruby and like the relationship between Christina. So there's the scene when Christina is walking out of the of healing D and Ruby's following her and Letty opens the door and it's like, Ruby, come here. And they had that altercations to fears of a word, I think, but like exchange (laughs) Um, where Letty's trying to convince Ruby to stay with them because she doesn't trust Christina, Mm -hmm. but Letty or Ruby's like, you do know what taking Montrose just almost did to you, right? And that's just a really interesting thing. And then ultimately Ruby decides to go with Christina. Um, And then we get the scene of them um, in the basement with uh, the woman who is white, Ruby, Mm -hmm. the like, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And she's in a coma. She's not dead. Because Ruby asked her, how did she get in a coma? And Christina says, your your sister hit her over the head with a shovel. <laughs> right. She deserved you know, it. <laughs> just kind of going back to that exchange between Ruby and Letty, I definitely was like, 
Ruby is bringing up some excellent points here because her whole thing was like, you don't trust Christina, but she's given you no reason not to trust her. She's protected you. She's trying to help you. She's helped me, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I agree with Ruby that Christina has not done anything malicious toward them, but I do think that Ruby is missing a really big picture that I think Letty sees. Um, so yes, when we, you know, we get to the the house, I guess, and they're in the basement, Ruby even is like, okay, let me ask some questions here. She's yeah. like, what is going on and why do you need tick? Yeah, because Letty pretty much tells her why she really doesn't trust mm-hmm. Christina, and it's because Christina plans to kill Tick. Right. Which I'm fine with. I don't understand why Letty's not fine with it, and I'm second guessing her now. Right. <laughs> and then again, this is this is why I like Christina in this episode because a normal villain would lie. Mm-hmm. When when Ruby asked, you know, what are what are your plans with Tick? Are you planning to kill him? <laughs> she was like, Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. I need his blood and I need all of his blood, therefore I am going to kill him. Right. Whatever. And, and another another interesting part of that is when uh Ruby accuses Christina of using her to get to tick. And mm-hmm. Christina is like, no, I saw an opportunity and I took it, mm-hmm. but I've never used you. Right. So like, and like, and she was, ain't. She's yeah. not used her for right. Tick's purposes. This was the first time they've all been in the room together and it's because Ruby told her to be there. Right. right. And, and it's actually- I watch, I agree with you, Sheree, that they are the strongest couple in the show. I agree, uh-huh. yes. And, and it's funny because Christina even says like, you know, you were- it was an accident like you were an accident in this whole thing you know she was like everything about me becoming immortal eventually has been like meticulously planned Mm -hmm. and my involvement with you is a complete like happenstance you know I didn't plan to have you you know with me or whatever and I was like you know what all right Christina I'm all right I see you I see you right now so but then Ruby says this this line that I'm curious about. She's like, you know, eventually it resolves or whatever. And she goes, I, I always imagined myself with, with red hair as white, when I was white. And I was like, that is interesting. <laughs> Why did yeah. they put that in here? It was, it was a weird place to put it because, I mean, imagine, whenever I imagine myself white, that's definitely a phrase that should be unpacked because that comes from <laughs> this racist world in which someone who looks like Ruby can't succeed. And right. so, of course, she pictures her life as a white woman because she feels less than constantly. Mm-hmm. But the redhead, I did not get. And it just seemed like a weird place. Like, this would have been perfect for the episode where she starts becoming white Ruby or one after where she's still, like, in her head about it. Right. But this one, it was just like, mm, this coma or- person is fine, but she a brunette. That's how it feels. <laughs> or she was like, kill this bitch, buy me a redhead. Like, <laughs> Ruby just right. <laughs> Right, evil. Like let's just start getting right. Yeah, I'll be a blonde tomorrow. I'll be a redhead. Like <laughs> right. I guess the the question that it raised for me was, are they planning to like maybe find Ruby another person to like change into? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. But I thought it was an interesting. <laughs> statement and the fact from her. the fact that Ruby's person is in a coma and William is dead makes mm-hmm. me think that William will eventually run out of blood. Hmm. And so, yeah. yeah. And that's why she said earlier that every time she turns, every time she uses his blood to turn into him, he is dying again. 
Well, you know, that's a that's an excellent point, actually, because now that the police officer is dead, we don't really need to see William anymore, actually. Well, I guess for the privilege. sake of for the sake of the the um yeah, the white male privilege and especially as it pertains to the cult, probably. But And yeah. Ruby might say, Girl, I want William tonight. <laughs> Listen. I, I wonder. I I definitely want someone to unpack this for me because this has definitely become like a poly <laughs> couple <laughs> for, for I quadruple. I don't I don't have a word for four. I'm just gonna Whatever say poly. Is, yeah. I'm here for it. I'm I'm one hundred percent here for it. Absolutely. It's the spin-off <laughs> I want. Like yes. I would watch that and I'd watch a Polida floating out in the universe forever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At least they spent at least they like listen to each other and actually communicate. <laughs> right. Somebody's <laughs> got to in this thing. They seem to have the most care for each other of anyone in this whole thing. Like Tick knows this woman's carrying his child and he can't give no shits. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Montrose thinks Tick is his son on some level, I guess. His right. brother just died. He gives no shit. He's like, I'm still doing my past trauma. Can't worry about none of you fools right now. And it's like, but you can save some of these lives if you right. act today. <laughs> you just won't hear right. of it. If you and call one eight hundred today, right? <laughs> you too can prevent this forest fire. And he's like, no. Um, <laughs> and so it's especially I. I also appreciate Christina and Ruby being a couple because those are definitely two of the the stronger characters in this show. And mm-hmm. so it's nice to see them have a softer side because it's easy to just write them off as strong women who only do the strong things and they're right. not real and yeah it's like no mm-hmm. I agree yeah. so then moving back to where we were um christina has pushed the, the purse back and given uh d 24 hours and so hippolyta is like i'm on a mission <laughs> i'm gonna save my baby if y'all gonna help so <laughs> she asked them what the like the source of the magic is and they tell her the uh book of names which has died with the police officer so then she's like well we're going back in time here we go Uh, (laughs) and that's when i was like oh fuck (laughs) when tick tried to doubt her though because he was like you messed up the machine she's like i have it running in an hour get my daughter to the car get in the way why won't you ever hear me tick what (laughs) (laughs) i was so here for hippolyta just being like Let's go. Let's go. There's no reason for us to waste time. We got two hours to get there. I got one hour to fix it. We're going to fix this in six hours. And the other thing was like, any other time y'all just want to take the car and do God's no God knows what I'm going to get in this car and I'm going to go and save my child. Y'all coming or nah? They only want the car when she ain't with it, apparently. Right. They're like, oh, you need something done? We can't. We're, we're busy. Right. <laughs> oh, and Chick calls it a time machine, and she's like, um, no, it is a multiverse machine. I was yeah, like, right. come on. I was here for, I was here for, and then, you know, everybody's like, Apolita, where have you been? Well, like, what is what is going on? And she's like, I was on Earth 205. I you know, was there for 200 years and infinite possibilities and infinite knowledge. And li- li- the whole time she was talking, I was like, Black women! Black women! She was there for 200 years. It doesn't look a day over 40. Come right. on. Auntie got a vacation while they was down here doing nonsense. Right. And you know what? Now, by the end of this episode, she looked a little rough, but we'll get there. Except her hair gets fierce. Uh, right? I was jealous. 
so um anyway so we go oh and they're, they're like but we don't have the key and she's like got it but we don't have this got it like what's, what's the other problem what you got? i was listen oh, i was that. just i was so here for this moment i was like we need to let her live in all of the glory that she has experienced in these 200 years she's been gone right. <laughs> let her do her thing so then we go to the multiverse machine and we find out that we are going back to 1921 Tulsa, mm-hmm. which classroom, for those who don't know, that's the Tulsa massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the fucking Tulsa riot. It's not a riot, it's a massacre. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but bef- before then, we get Montrose. You know, we get two instances of Montrose. We get him at the car drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it. I, again, I was just like, God, Montrose, I need you to, like, stop drinking away your traumas. And I need you to talk through this. Like, I was just, where are the therapists? We need right. somebody. But then, you know, we, he gets inside and he's trying to help, you know, position D or whatever and, and get things set up. And he just decides to spill all the beans to Letty. <laughs> he's tired, too. He's like, y'all look. You pregnant, he knows, he been in the future. <laughs> I was like, who told you to do this? I was like, we need you to unpack your things, Montrose. Right. Your things, not telling everybody else's business. And as he as he gets out and he's drinking his whole like as he as it usually does, his past trauma is like swirling the audio of it is swirling around him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at this point, there's more trauma than we even know about. Right. Like, it gets rough for baby right. in this episode. Um, but anyways, so mm-hmm. we get in there, and he, yes, he spills all the beans to Letty. He's like, hello, Letty, you're pregnant. We all know it. Bye. Uh, <laughs> and um, then Hippolyta's got like, like, is she human? Or is she some magical robot? I'm real confused. She's got like blue vein blue like power cells on her wrists <laughs> and so i'm just not quite sure what is going on um <laughs> the energizer bunny she essentially but she said she's going to become the motherboard for this t- multiverse machine um, right so she tells them she's sending them to uh 1921 tulsa um mm-hmm uh yeah and so they go to this the restaurant this like big nice restaurant that a lot of the families will save up money to go eat at like once a year um in town and they get there and Montrose is already like fucked up like he is not prepared for this emotionally physically mentally and I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, you know, I said before, like my my feelings for Montrose in this episode evolve. Where at the very beginning of the episode, I was already just like, God, Montrose, just go sit down somewhere. And now I think because we understand that he's just been spiraling in his own trauma, you know, especially after realizing he's got to go back to Tulsa, just like I'm like, okay, like maybe maybe he's really dealing with something right now and and he was and he is um so yeah he's he's completely out of it but he's still drunk um and uh, i might have had to get drunk too before i went back i you know listen you gotta do something you gotta you taking me back to when 
1921? Oh, I'm going to need several bottles. So maybe he was drinking gasoline at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so Tick obviously had the one smart idea I think he's had all season when he's like, we got to dress ourselves so we look, so we don't stand out. Mm. So they all changed clothes to the 1920s, um, except a very key piece of costuming, which comes into play later. Letty. Oh, yeah. I thought that, I thought that was interesting. Um, <laughs> she was and, like, nobody wears them shoes. Who the hell and, and also, I love that they just find clothes that always fit them. Because they walked out, they when they walked out, Tick's got on this fitting suit, Montrose looking dapper in this white suit. Letty's got on her, you know, red dress. I'm like, okay, who is tailoring these suits for these folks? The clothes she finds are always red. I noticed that. So whoever got her mystery clothes for her knows her power color. Yes. (laughs) Someone else pointed that out to me, and I was like, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it is really interesting that they started um, the uh, Tulsa scenes before the massacre. Because listening to the podcast, at first they were going to start it like they were going to get there and things were exploding. Right. And, and, and I think, like, you know, in, in a way, what I've seen this show do. And disclaimer, everyone, I feel like the rest of this episode is going to get really heavy really quickly because we're talking about a very sensitive subject as it pertains to the Black experience in America. Um, But I think what this show does very elegantly is that they want to say something more than just, here's Black trauma. And it feels, you know, immediately it feels, it's painful to watch um, but also they do a pretty good job at contextualizing what is happening. Um, so when we open this scene and we see the two girls who are very upset that their school dance has been canceled, the prom has been canceled, we're like, oh, oh, wow. Okay, so now I'm understanding that somebody, you know, the the talk of what was going to happen was already happening before it became this big massacre, even. And so they shut down schools and things were starting to close and families were preparing. So I was like, okay, we're getting that it's much bigger than it just being like this one incident. This actually affected the lives of children, of, of families, of teenagers who were in high school and learning. And I think that that's an important thing to take away from this episode, even in all of its harm, is that this isn't just another, we're just gonna throw this at you, cause whatever. We want you to actually, instead of just thinking, oh, the Tulsa riots happened you know, back in 21, we want you to actually experience um, some sort of empathy where you have to connect to the lives of the people who were there. Um, And I think that that's, it's brilliant. It was brilliant for them to open right there where we, the first thing we see is these two girls who are just like, dang it, the school dance is canceled. I'm mad. (laughs) I was like, yeah, girl, I'd be mad too. Like what, why is it canceled? You know? So yeah, that's just my little aside. But I, I think, I think that was an important thing. 
I think that's a really good point for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we go to the three of them in an alley and take getting all over Montrose again. And I'm like, is this the time for this? Is this the time? <sighs> to be fair, he was coming at him because he was drunk and they was here on a mission with a time limit. <laughs> and I hate that I had to agree with Tick this one time. I'll never forgive Montrose for that. <laughs> I said when I was watching, I was like, you know, Tick and Montrose just need one good fist fight. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I just think everything would be resolved because nobody's going to win. They won't win. They would just start punching and crying. <laughs> but I just think that maybe that's the only way that they can like resolve something together is right. if they just have a fist fight. <laughs> so, Stray, I've got a point that you can go back on and disagree with Tick on is he's like, you need to go back to the portal. And I'm like, how, what, how are you going to get anywhere? You got a map of 1921 Tulsa? Do you right. know where you're going? I don't think so. Even right. Letty's like, we got to keep him, Tick. <laughs> right. Apparently, the drunk person is the GPS because this is before GPSs were invented. <laughs> Sometimes Siri be drunk too. So I don't, you know. She do. she do. That's why she answer people say my name near their phones. What? <laughs> right. So uh, then we get to them outside of the, the homes of or George and Montrose and Dora. And we see Montrose being abused by his father in the front yard, in front of everyone. Um, This scene was so sad to me, Um, especially when you hear Montrose say, I deserved it. That's when, and Letty had to be like, nobody deserves that. Yeah. And it it was just, I don't know. Having, having had family members and people push me around and tell me, oh, you're, you're too girly, you don't play sports, you don't do this, you, you know, blah, 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 blah. I, it was, and, then, and then to hear the person who experienced that abuse say, I deserved it. Mm. Whew, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah it, it, was a, it was a lot. And, and there's so much even to unpack just in this one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was just like, this is so much for them to be throwing at us right now. But like you said, Trent, I mean, to see young Montrose being beat like this um, was, was devastating. I mean, and, and for him to have to watch that and and kind of address again, you know, my feelings for, for Montrose just became more and more sad because he had to really confront his own trauma and we see now that Montrose one did not deserve that um and that that is why he's he's has been dealing with things the way has the way he's been dealing um I will say that it's also and I think this whole episode is I'm about to get deep so stay with me (laughs) but (laughs) I, I will say that I think that this this episode and particularly this scene is an excellent representation of how traumas can be passed down generation to generation. And the cycle of abuse is very real. Exactly. Watching Montrose be abused by no stretch of the imagination, does that excuse his abuse of Tick? Right. It just explains kind of the, because I'm sure Montrose's father was dealing with his own form of trauma. Absolutely. Very clearly, he was like drunk when he was 
even you know beating on Montrose so it was very hard to watch this like you said this cycle of abuse kind of happen over and over and over again generations even and to watch both Tick and Montrose watch this previous generation happen and and have to confront that was kind of like all right now you need to do something about this you need to confront this trauma and and deal with it and not let it pass on now you and especially knowing that Letty is pregnant with Tick's child it's like are we going to keep letting this happen over and over again where this cycle of abuse passes down generation to generation it was really it was really tough to watch um but again but, you know yeah and it, and it was really refreshing to see dora run out and get mm -hmm. between tick or not tick montrose and his father mm -hmm. and tell him to stop that was a moment because speaking from my own queer experience it's typically the women mm -hmm. that will stand up for you mm -hmm. um not typically the, the straight men in your life mm -hmm. um and, and i will I, I will say you know acknowledge that montrose did say that mm -hmm. george helped george was the, a big help in in many situations yeah. um i think you know, I, I won't excuse anybody for what happened to, to Montrose, but, you know, Montrose did clarify that George was an immense help in those situations. And I believe him. Um, yeah. Not exactly sure what the issue was then, um, but yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Whew. But, and it was also great when, because Montrose's dad threatens to hurt Dora and Dora's dad comes out and he's like, hold on. You can do whatever you want to with your kids, but you're not touching my daughter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I thought that was that was very important. Um, um, then Montrose runs off. Mm -hmm. And then we, uh, the young Montrose runs off. And then we had the moment where Dora, I thought it was really cute that she slaps the flower out of his hand. And she's like, why didn't you do anything? And he's like, what was I supposed to do? Fight with my father? And then she kind of forgives him. You know, I think she gets it. I think she gets the the problems oh and one line that really bothered me too was when their dad is walking in to the house after Tick or after Montrose has run away and he said puts his hand on George's shoulder and say well at least I'm not the only man in the house right yeah I, I you know a, another another commentary in this episode is this struggle to fight and like the fight to break the chains of hypermasculinity, um, and specifically in the black community, that is like it is so prevalent and has been prevalent for generations. This idea of like you've got to be the man, you need to be the man. And Montrose, you know, toward the uh, later later in the episode, he has a monologue even about how difficult it was to exist and just be. A, you know, a young black boy without the pressure of needing to be a man eventually, of having a family, of having a son. Um, so I, I thought this whole experience for Montro was just like excellently depicted, but also very tragic and heartbreaking. Um, yeah. So yeah, and so yeah, you're right. Then jo uh, Montrose runs off and Tick just assumes what Montrose was going to do. He was like, he's going to go warn George. He's going to go stop him. And I was like, Tick, you don't know. You don't know that. 
And then they realize that he's he's had like a 20 minute head start. And so <laughs> now they can't physically both go get Montrose and then go get the book. So they have mm-hmm. to split up. Right. And I think this was actually one of the few times in a horror movie that I was like, I understand why you're splitting up. It makes right? sense. <laughs> right. Because usually it's like, I just need to be alone because everybody dying. And I'm like, that's not a good reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So Tick goes to get Montrose and Letty goes to get the book. But not before Letty leads. Oh my goodness. This made me so upset. That car. I was like, are you kidding me? You done went to war and everything. And this, you gonna let Letty hotwire your car while you sit in your comfy ass in this seat. (laughs) I was so mad. I was like, you know what? I can't with him. I absolutely cannot. She, first off, like he's getting a car, she's gonna have to walk for it or run for it because it's Liddy. Right. And like you gonna you can't even be bothered to get your hands dirty. Literally. You can't you can't give her a ride to where right? she gotta go. Right. Uh, it's five minutes that way, and where I'm going is five <laughs> minutes the other way. <laughs> um, Goodness. But and then Letty says as he's about to drive off, maybe we should we should call we should name him George. Talking about the baby. And like and Tick just drives off. That's how he has a conversation. He says when he wants and he just leaves. And not telling her that he already knows that they call that they call name him George. Again. And I understand that there isn't time to really have this fleshed out conversation. However, Tick, you are a trash person. Like you you uh, just wow. <laughs> Especially with the scene that we're about to get with Letty and her talk of Tick. We never hear Tick say that about Letty. Right. But we'll get there. But like, yeah, so Tick drives off to go catch Montrose because he's 20 minutes ahead of him. Uh, (laughs) um, And then Letty goes in to get the book. And Letty on the way to sneak into, I'm guessing that's her plan, is to sneak into the house. She doesn't really, she's not able to get there. Um, to sneak she just kind of gets put into the house because the riot essentially the massacre begins um some a truck full of white men pull over and try to shoot her but she's invulnerable she's invulnerable and can't be shot so sorry about it and then so she gets put into the house into dora's house thankfully what if she got accidentally put into the other house but like well fuck now i gotta find my way to the other house <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it was also interesting to see Tick uh, Montrose's dad come out with the gun to like defend her. Um, I was like, oh, okay, all right, this is there's some layers here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, she finally she realizes she's invulnerable; she's not going to be shot, so she goes inside the house. Um, the the other folks of the town, the men of the town, are fighting you know, literally a war, um, which is another thing to point out in this episode. And and this is just the, the conversation about the Black experience is that we have never accepted what and how we were treated, mm-hmm. never. To see this, this community of people fighting back, to see them all on their porches with rifles and guns and gearing up and ready to literally protect their village and their community is the story of black people for gen- from generations in decades and centuries past 
we have never accepted enslavement, we have never accepted inequality and the way that we've been treated. Um, and so for all y'all out here who are, why is there so much protesting? Why is all this blah, 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 blah. I'ma just go ahead and say it for y'all. We have never accepted the way that we have been treated and we never will, <laughs> period, point blank. I'm done. <laughs> and, and nor should you, you know, but period. <laughs> period. So period. it was really nice to see, see that. Um, I mean, unfortunately that this war literally erupted in this community to protect their, their, their things and their families. Right. So, yeah. And then Letty ends up in the house. Mm -hmm. And the fun thing is, is we get to meet the ancestor that the enslaved ancestor that escaped from the mansion. Um, we actually get to meet that character, which is kind of an interesting storytelling device. Um, but then we go back to Tick and Montrose. Montrose gets a baseball bat that's important for later and knocks the window out to get more alcohol because he ain't drunk enough already. Uh, <laughs> um, and then Tick shows up. He immediately accuses him of going to warn George, but Montrose is like, that's not what I'm doing. Um, he is planning on warning a boy that he was friends with, that on the same night as the massacre, they get into a fight and he says that he, after his father beats him, he says that he can't be his friend because the guy, the boy is a faggot and he is not. Um, this whole conversation, this whole part of this episode, from here on out is from it's, it's already been awful it's just so difficult to watch because he can't save this boy and it and i can't imagine my first love crush interest whatever being shot right in front of me mm -hmm. i it, I, mm. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, again, a, a lot of this was really heartbreaking. And, you know, watching, watching Montrose relive his past in this way, was hard. I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine to know what you know now. And then to see how you treated a situation so, um, so close to you back then. Um, and it, you can tell that it, it it has been a a weight on Montrose since it happened. Um, you know, he says, you know, I I called him a faggot, and you know, and I told him that I wasn't, and here I am, you know, in my life, and he was shot. Yeah. You know, he literally so. said I was lying to him. I've been lying to him, and I'm lying to I was lying to myself. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of queer people, as they do the coming out process, which is interesting because we're recording this the day after coming out day or whatever, quotation marks. Um, mm -hmm. You do, you lie to yourself a lot. You know, you, you, there's no way you could do that or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or, or, or I can change. That's the best one. Um, right. And then we get the speech where he's telling, when he, I think he's finally decided that he's not going to do this because Tick has told him, you know, if you change this, you and mom could have never gotten together. That means I wouldn't be born, you know, whatever. And so he gives this heartbreaking 
speech about what you were talking about earlier about being a man and having a son. And he, he tells him that this boy, Thomas, he's erased his name. He has a sacrifice that Montrose made so that he could be Tick's, uh, that he, he could be Tick's father. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just completely heartbreaking. And I think it's a pivotal moment in the relationship of Tick and Montrose. Yeah, I felt I definitely feel like this was where we finally get this moment of empathy from the both of them, where they start to understand a little bit of, or rather Tick starts to understand what has been going on in Montrose's head for so long. And though Tick may never truly, you know, forgive Montrose for beating him to death, he at least, yeah, he shouldn't, which... But it, it allows him a glimpse, a, a literal glimpse into what Montrose has been dealing with um, since back then. So it was refreshing to see this finally break, this this moment of like, ah, finally there's, they understand what's the weight of what's going on, so. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where their relationship goes after this episode. But then we go back to Letty in the house with Dora's family. And um, there's some interesting scenes here with um, Dora's sister, where she talks about how she and Dora had just gotten into a fight. And she says that she was just being stupid because she was just jealous because Dora was being able to go to the prom with George. And she was really, she she liked George. Going back to what you were talking about earlier about how it showed the the real connection that we can make with these people that we know are not going to end well, um, just made it harder to watch really. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually have a question about that, that one scene, because when I watched it, I I was like, is this supposed to be Hippolyta? I wasn't, I wasn't sure that it was her sister. I don't know if that ever was said explicitly that she was her sister. And so when she talked about being sweet on George, I was like, is that supposed to be Hippolyta? Yeah, because what I assumed happened is that Dora and Hippolyta were friends. Right. And she knew her friend was into George, but like they had fooled around anyways. And they were like, well, your brother needs a baby so your father will stop torturing him. So that's what I made up in my mind. Mm -hmm. But also I was heavily distracted while watching this because it was a Monday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'll need if anybody has further ideas about that, I guess I would be interested to know. But like, that's what I kind of pointed out, because when she, you know, like I said, when she said she was sweet on George, I was like, huh? Yeah. OK. Well, and, but, and I kind of thought that, too, the first time I watched it. But the second time I was like, but wait, I don't see her leave the house. That's also true. She can't leave. Yeah, so if she that then she can't be Hippolyta because that then nobody survived besides Letty in that house. Um, but, uh, all that said, though, um, well, I guess George, I guess George and Montrose are not. They ran in away. That house, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. So maybe that's did, not true. But did they say nobody survived or nobody in the family survived? They did say also, nobody in the family. That's true. I don't. Maybe. Maybe. Also, a good point. So yeah, I mean, to be to be fleshed out <laughs> later. But, Let yeah, us know your thoughts, yeah. listeners. Yeah, I was like, hmm, this is a little Easter egg here. I like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, but also, and I want to mention too, 
you know, uh, LaRob, you were talking about earlier how um, the Black community has never stopped fighting against the oppression that they always had put upon them. When that family, when Dora's family so easily took Letty in to protect her from these people, it really showed the strength and power and love in the community that like they didn't know her from anybody. It could have right. been, she could have been a fucking serial killer, who knows? But they still were like, she's one, she's in the community, she's one of us, we're going to protect her, bring her in, give her a gun. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting moment. But um, then we go to Letty's upstairs, digging through the drawers, trying to find that book. <laughs> and- she got to do all the work. It's always down to Letty. Nobody <laughs> else can do anything. Nobody else is useful in this tick Montrose and Letty triangle that anyway. goes on all the adventures. And at the end of this episode, she gets the mon- the film montage to prove it. Uh, right. <laughs> so, um, but then great, great grandma comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, uh, I was just looking for a, 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 good, a good shot. And she's like, no, you weren't. What were you doing? Um, and then she was like, I knew I didn't recognize them shoes. Because, spoiler alert, it's her. She's wearing, like, Converse shoes. Right. <laughs> in the means of running, I understand. Mm-hmm. But in the means of looking like a 1920, looking like you're from 1921, I don't know that you succeeded. Maybe they, did, maybe they had a dress, but no shoes in their sides. Right. You can't win them all all the time, Letty. Like- <laughs> so, but Letty yes. explains who she is to her and what she needs. And after a back and forth um, with the, the grandmother, she decides to give her the book. Um, there's some really great lines in this, especially when she gives her the book and she says, my great, great grandson, meaning the baby that Letty is holding or not holding and impregnated with, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, is, is the manifestation of my faith. Right. Um, that's really powerful, especially not thinking about how black um, generations, you know, she was a slave and now she is getting to see her great, great grandson well, not really see him because he's in vitro, but you know what I mean. Uh, see his mother, I guess, um, and know that that line continues mm-hmm. is 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 powerful. You know, yeah. I mean that's what that's why I was saying. You know, this episode really highlights a lot of emotional aspects of the Black experience, specifically one of family and of generations, um, because, like you said, to 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 imagine experiencing your bloodline continued um, in this way, um, even even at the realization that you might not make it um, is like, wow. I, I was just like, okay, this is, this is getting, this is, you know, once this scene came about, I was like, okay, I, I'm not really gonna make it the rest of this episode, I see. I see they're, they're really trying to make me weep here. Um, but like you said, there were some very powerful exchanges. I mean, not only did she say something to the effect of that my great-great-grandson would become the manifestation of my faith, but, you know, they exchange prayers and scriptures. And it just goes to show that this spirituality and this faith and this tenacity of a people is translated, you know, that it was kind of like, you know, 
with Montrose, you see the trauma being passed down generation to generation. And mm -hmm. you, you see it very clearly with Tick and Montrose and now with Montrose's father. But with this exchange, it's like, but also the faith and the tenacity is passed down generation to generation. And so it was just like an excellent way to really just kind of fold this all together, I think. And going back a little to, to lighten the mood just a tiny bit, um, going back to what I said earlier, you we have not heard Tick say half anywhere half anywhere close to the beautiful things that Letty says about Tick in this right. episode, in this moment. Because she is telling her that she is in love with her grandson, that she um or great grandson, I mean, oh, and that she is carrying his baby, that his name is Atticus, but we call him Tick because Atticus is mouthful. Like these beautiful kind of um things are coming out and like where you at, Tick? Right. Where you at? It stressed me out because I've seen this movie before where she's head over heels with trash and trash don't know her <laughs> and don't want to listen to her. And so it stressed me out because Letty is smarter than this and she has more self-esteem than this. And yet she's like, well, I have to make this work with Tick because... <laughs> but I will say it was really rough when... The grandmother started to burn and I felt like it stayed on her a little too long for me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as, I don't know. It just felt a lot mm -hmm. to watch this happen, but maybe that was the point. Probably was the point. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, re you know, after, after we realize, after their exchanges of spirituality, I feel like the remainder of this episode becomes imagery and like, just kind of like, analogous almost because you know seeing this black woman being scorched by the same fire that the woman who will save them is surviving and is walking through was was picturesque and it was like okay like that is an image right there you know and she she recognized that she was letty recognizing that she was invincible you know she's like oh no like you're gonna you're gonna burn up um and i won't i won't feel anything but also how strong of this woman to decide i mean she literally decided to stay and burn up um and i think that was even powerful um yeah so right. it was it was a lot it was a lot <laughs> so then we go back to taking montrose because now um uh, Dora and George have shown up and they're now helping Montrose who's be still being attacked by this mob of white people um, and they're talking about how in the story that Montrose has been telling Tick, George and Montrose have been telling Tick for years a stranger shows up to save the day with a baseball bat intense mm -hmm. wink wink um, and then but, Ma, but uh, Tick's like, something's wrong. We fucked something up by coming through here. They're not getting hit. The guy's not coming. And then he moves forward and he kick, kicks the baseball bat. And I was like, oh, it was Tick. <laughs> Tick is the savior, man. Right. I guess he would need to do something right at some point. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, Tick goes and beats all those white people up, which I was like, finally, yes, I get to see some white people get beat the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh i also want to just point out that like 
dramatic heroic theme music that was playing <laughs> behind tick beating the hell out of these white folk the special was, effects in that moment were like when you saw that baseball bat hit that guy and the drum, like, oh, it was slow motion Ooh. all all while the music is like dun, 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 i'm like okay <laughs> it's like heroic music i love it uh i, I appreciate it because like I, they're starting to tie things back to like that thing we opened with at the very first episode with the baseball bat. Because right. <laughs> I was like, what is this weird postcard from the comic book store we're in? Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing all the little bits and parts. And yeah, so right. it really is coming to a close and maybe really will tie. Right. Um, <laughs> so then Tick and Montrose go to back to the Stanford? Is that what it was called? The restaurant. The restaurant with the portal still in it to go back home. Um, it was something like that. It started with an S. Someone correct me on, on the socials, let me know. Um, and they realize that something is wrong with the portal. Like it's it's flickering a little too much that it should. And so I like that they mentioned that and then Tick's like, bye. And <laughs> runs <laughs> and like gets through the portal and then it closes. And so poor Montrose is just sitting there in his trauma, just Lord. like, well, I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, Letty hasn't even arrived yet. She's no. still walking through the the explosions and the gunshots and everything, trying to get to this place with the book. This also stressed me out because I get that she's invincible and I guess she just went through some more shit because of Tick. But also when you know you want a time limit and you see the portal flickering, <laughs> normally a show or a movie will keep the pace up and keep it intense. So to just like stop that madness and be like watch her walking around slowly clutching this book. I was like, are you what we, huh? Through that, we did get Montrose's another mantra. Montrose had some good ass monologues in this episode. Yes. Um, his monologue where he's kind of reliving the 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 massacre and how like this person did this and this white person over here put some people of put some black people in, in the basement to save them. And like reliving this almost like he is literally, I mean, he is literally reliving it. And both- right. And I, and I thought that was, that was brilliant again, um, because he's actually naming off real people, mm-hmm. real people who died in the Tulsa massacre. Um, and I think, you know, it was kind of this moment where you realize that he can't stop their deaths you know another moment where he's like there and he's like i can't stop what is happening but in a way you know it's kind of like a question for us it, it, well it was like you know i don't know but in short yes montrose you know kind of naming off real people who died in this massacre really kind of put it a pin on it it put like a the, the lid on top of it to be like yeah, and this actually happened, and a lot of people felt helpless in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was another brilliant thing done by this show. Because then we go to Tick is now with Hippolyta, uh, Hippolyta, and she is had Look it. Look at She's tired. <laughs> She's like, I need to hurry up. We tired right now, but she is tired. Listen, <laughs> I'm like, goodness. She and again, up. She can't uh, hold it in. Right. I was like, if this isn't another depiction of how black women are, carry everything on their shoulders, 
Yes. <laughs> I was like, good God, Hippolyta, you need a break, sis. She lived another 200 years because, like, they mistrust her right to fuck back out. <laughs> like, y'all, goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> they was like, welcome back. We tried to kill your daughter. And she's like, are you serious? <laughs> I got, oh I got some new hair. I'm gone. Y'all have fun. I'm taking yeah. deep with me this time, though. <laughs> it's for the best. <laughs> so but anyways take encouraging her to keep going because i still don't have the book and that was the whole damn point of going mm-hmm. back to this terrible time um and so she goes into like dark phoenix mode and like <laughs> overdrive and gets it back open she like levitates in the air her hair turns <laughs> like blue like not just blue but like blue like blue blue mm-hmm like cerulean blue <laughs> and i was here for it i was it was cute and in the net in the promo for the next episode she still got it so i'm like all right she's gonna keep we love it. to see it these comic books had it i think d really is a seer there you go interesting um, and then finally letty and tit and montrose pop on through right and then that's the end of the show that's the end of the episode <laughs> Well, before before we before the end, I do, I want to point out, or I guess this can kind of just be my little like my takeaways. So, <laughs> um, the one other thing that I really loved about this final scene was that they used um, Sonia Sanchez's "Catch a Fire" poem, which was, I mean this was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm weeping and I can't control it because it was so, so like, it was the perfect poem to use for this. I mean, it's, you know, the whole thing is like, catch a fire. Like, where is that fire that, that you have? Like, what is it? And I think it was kind of a call to the watcher, to the viewer, especially considering that like Montrose couldn't do anything to stop the the deaths even you know going back he couldn't for the sake of what would happen in the future and it was kind of like well what can you do um as the viewer or or what can you do to change what has happened um and and how can you correct the past I thought just the use of this poem was brilliant and then I have to shout out um DePaul alumna Janai Bruger, who is a, a good friend of mine um, and an amazing opera star because they take text from that poem and they turn it into a song that Janai sings. That and was so beautiful. It, it's, it's, and it's not only is it gorgeous, but it's like, oh, it's just heart wrenching. And so, and it's funny because the funny story, as I was watching it, I was listening and I was like, I know that voice. Why do I know that voice? And then lo and behold, I get on Instagram and she can, you know, she finally makes a status and she's like, okay, I can like let the cat out of the bag now. It was me. And I'm like, oh my God. Ah!" (laughs) Um, So shout out to Janai Ruger. Um, That was a really, really beautiful, beautiful portion. And if you notice, this is the, this is the first episode in the entire series so far that did not end with the Cinnamon song and it ended with that um with the aria by Janai with Janai Brugger singing and I thought that was I mean it, again it highlighted the emotional weight of this show because if they would have ended this jump with oh Cinnamon are you gonna turn to I would have been like stop it right now <laughs> <laughs> I 
when I heard the song, I was like, oh, I really liked this. I don't know this piece. And I was like, I'm happy La Baba's on tonight because we don't have any opera singers in our rotation. But that looked good. <laughs> yes. So I thought that was I thought that was beautiful. And obviously, you know, I've, I've since done the research on how she did it and when she did it. And so it's just really nice to see that she is a she's a black opera star um and she is really out here and killing it so and has um, roots in chicago because has roots in chicago. yeah so it was really awesome to hear that and and to see all of that come together in that way it was this was a really tough but but beautiful episode all right well that it was an episode <laughs> yes it was <laughs> and it's gonna one more one more charade you think you can do it I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I was sort of joking when I said I'm ready for this to be over, but I'm ready. I this is I'm tired. I will <laughs> say when I've seen like the you know because when they say like the last episode they usually like the the series finale like it was the series finale of Watchmen. This says the season finale. It does not say series. It says season. I can't do a season two. I'm happy for them if they get it because they deserve it. But I just I will not have myself this again i will not this is my last trip to tulsa oklahoma for hbo um but we'll see maybe, maybe I, they, and they could be teasing us who knows um but yeah so one more episode who we got in our last episode Sheree? <laughs> it's crystal marie stewart of course it is <laughs> what who scheduled this what's going on um <laughs> Um, well, yeah, Crystal's going to be back to close out Lovecraft Country with us next Monday, which is fitting because she'd been here for about half these episodes. Um, yes. She'd been through it with us, uh, yes. yeah, along with all of our other um, guests. And that was great. Um, yeah. So make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a lot of announcements coming up. Um, so keep on the lookout because we got a big old halloween extravaganza a fear street halloween a weekend on fear street um so make sure you keep your eyes out for more information on that um thank you so much Rob, for joining us for this Yay. episode anytime anytime i love the show i love this podcast yes um and sure again you follow Rob on all the socials and um you want to plug your organization one more time just for the audience yeah, you can find me on social media at uh, R-O-B-B-P-A-Y-T-O-N. And you can also find my nonprofit organization, um, Hearing in Color, at hearingincolor.chi on Instagram. Awesome. Make sure you follow them. They're doing some really awesome things. All right. Thank you all for listening. Sorry this was so such a downer. <laughs> maybe next time, maybe they'll they'll it'll be a three or 180 in the finale, and it'll be... I don't know. I'm not going to say that. Anyway. It's a musical. <laughs> It'll be a musical. Oh, my God. If the last episode is a musical, I'm going to scream. If it is, there won't be an episode. I'm just going to walk away from the situation. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you stay fierce out there. Bye. Bye.